0: You're listening to a special edition Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The
1: Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job
0: growth has been strong. The downside
1: risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of federal banking system is large. We've
0: come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis.
2: Welcome to another Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta Economy Matters podcast. I'm Ann Carpenter with the Atlanta Fed's Community and Economic Development Team. Heirs' properties are parcels of residential, agricultural, commercial, or even vacant land that are inherited by the descendants of a previous owner. Without a properly administered will, property is passed down to the owner's children and then to their children and then to other successive generations of children, and this default ownership structure is known as tenancy in common. It can cause a number of issues for both families and communities, which we will discuss today. I'm talking with Thomas Mitchell, a professor at Texas A&M University's School of Law, and with Cassandra Johnson Gaither, a research social scientist at the U.S. Department of Agriculture Forest Service's Southern Research Station. Thomas was the principal drafter of the 2010 Uniform Partition of Airs Properties Act, which is the most substantial legal reform effort in modern times to stabilize ownership of heirs' properties. Cassandra focuses her research on the intersection of heirs' property ownership and social vulnerability in the South and its implications for national forest management. Cassandra and the USDA Forest Service co-hosted a gathering of heirs property experts on June 15, 2017, with the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Thomas served as the keynote speaker of the event. This podcast will explore the problems associated with heirs property in the South and other issues raised at the event. Thomas and Cassandra, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having
1: me. Thank you for inviting me.
2: First of all, can you both explain why property owned by multiple heirs is problematic? One might argue that it is fair to distribute your property equally among your kids.
0: From my perspective, it's not a problem really to pass on property, real property, to subsequent generations. That's, you know, that's an ideal. I mean, that's what we're expected to do, I guess, as Americans. But the problems come in um, in how that property is transferred. If that property is transferred in such a way that the subsequent owners, it's not very clear who the subsequent owners are, that's when the problems come in. Because one of the uh, fundamental issues with heirs' property is the problem of actually identifying who the actual owners of these properties are. And when that's unclear, lending institutions, for example, banks are either reluctant to or they absolutely will not deal with people who have property where the titles are uh, quote-unquote clouded or unclear. So that's a huge problem when it comes to heirs' property.
1: Right, and I'd say that um, in addition to the problem with clear title, which is uh, certainly a huge problem with uh, heirs property ownership, um, and heirs property ownership assumes, in most cases, what is that the property is transferred without a will, and so we call that by intestacy. So, as Cassandra has indicated, um, there's all kinds of problems when you cannot identify who each of the members are in a group who collectively owns uh, property. In addition to that, when one compares that to property that passes down when there is a will, in the absence of a will, property tends to get passed down to many more people over the generations. And one of the problems with tenancy and common ownership under the rules that the state will give you if you don't make, Provision otherwise in a will or some other type of document, the property can be incredibly unstable in terms of its ownership. Because state law allows just one of the common owners to file a legal action called a partition action and request a court to order a forced sale of the property, even if all of the other common owners does not want the property forcibly sold. The property still can be sold. So that's the problem of unstable ownership and heirs' property is widely recognized to be the most unstable form of common ownership of real property that the law recognizes in the United States. the third problem, in addition to unstable ownership, lack of clear title, is that tenancy and common ownership under these rules that the state will give you, we call those the default rules, does not do anything to kind of allocate rights and responsibilities among the common owners, which frequently leads to disputes among those heirs or common owners, or it results in the property being paralyzed um, so that it's often just kind of sitting idly and not kind of working in any kind of economic sense um, or other sense for the family.
0: And I think what Thomas and I are both really referring to, we haven't said it explicitly, is that when property is classified as uh, heirs' property, it really has a negative impact on people's ability, families' ability to um, generate wealth, to increase their wealth base. Um, I mentioned earlier that banks are reluctant to accept uh, property, real property, that's classed as heirs' as collateral for home improvement loans, for example. And also, um, public agencies, the federal government, will not offer home-improvement loans or agricultural loans, for example, to homeowners or landowners that have property classed as heirs' property. Uh, For example, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, um, it offers a category of not loans, but grants, if you will, with the acronym EQIP, E-Q-I-P, which stands for Environmental Quality Incentives Program. And so this funding is available for conservation purposes. But again, if these rural landowners do not have clear title to the properties, that assistance is off limits. And so those kinds of things, those situations really have an impact then on people's ability to maintain their property, to just use their property to generate further wealth.
2: So moving on, I've noticed that in the research, much of the focus has been on heirs' property in the rural South. Could you all explain why this is and what some of those major findings are?
0: So most of the research, I might even say, almost exclusively has focused on the problem of heirs' property as it affects rural African Americans, primarily in the Black Belt South. And the reason for this focus is likely uh, the fact that because of the predominance of African Americans in this part of the country, in this part of the South, because of their numbers and their history and their embeddedness in their in this place, a lot of attention then is focused on uh, the financial situation, the wealth situation, the social situation of these populations. And because of decreasing property ownership, the de- decline in the amount of real property or land that African Americans have held since the beginning of the 20th century, um, you know, people are looking around to try to find out what are some of the reasons for this decline. And heirs' property has been been uh, identified as a potential or a possible culprit, uh, a factor that has contributed to land loss among African-Americans. And so I guess from that, in a, a very sort of high-profile situation, the land loss uh, among African-Americans in the South and the reasons for it related to heirs' property, a lot of the research has focused on African-Americans. Um, there's also been some work that has uh, looked at this issue for folks in uh, Central Appalachia, but to a much lesser extent.
1: Yeah, and I would say in addition to what Cassandra uh, indicated, is that with respect to African-Americans generally, African-Americans disproportionately own heirs' property. And that comes back to what is a racial differential in rates of intestacy uh, in this country. And so the overall rate of intestacy in this country is something about 40%. However, in the African-American community, the rates of intestacy are in the low 80s. So African-Americans are just differently situated in terms of their passing property by intestacy at twice the rate of the national average, which makes their ownership, given some of the legal rules, much more uh, unstable. The problem of heirs' property certainly includes African American rural land ownership, but that it's not the complete universe of um, people who have had problems with heirs' property.
2: Could you describe some of those other contexts, other regions of the country, or even urban neighborhoods that are also experiencing heirs' property issues?
1: As Cassandra has noted, there are heirs' property problems in different parts of Appalachia. I think in some ways that problem has played out a little differently than it has with African-Americans because there's not the evidence that the heirs' property problem in Appalachia has been as much of a source of land loss, as it has been in the African-American community, but the other problems of heirs property ownership certainly uh, apply in that particular context. And then within uh, in, in urban neighborhoods, um, you're going to have heirs property because it's a function of people being poor, being relatively unsophisticated, and often having a lack of access to legal services. And that is not along an urban rural or suburban, urban divide um, that's going to impact people who own property who are poor, unsophisticated, and often have lack of access to legal services.
2: So we've really established that heirs' properties are a major issue, particularly here in the South. Can you all talk about what's currently being done to manage existing heirs' property and limit this land loss that you're talking about?
1: Sure. I think in terms of legal Reform. I was the principal drafter of the Uniform Partition of Heirs Property Act, which is a uniform act that was uh, developed or I helped them develop for an organization called the Uniform Law Commission, um, which has been a leading organization that has developed model state statutes in this country over the past 125 years. And the The Uniform Law Commission finalized, or our drafting committee finalized, the drafting of this Uniform Partition Act in 2010 and really began to seek introductions by state legislatures in 2011. And between 2011 and 2017, there are now 10 states that have enacted the Uniform Partition Affairs Property Act into law. And half of those States are in the South, and Texas became the most recent state to enact it into law. So, I think that this has been, as you indicated, the most significant reform of partition law in modern time. Its enactment and its success have been, uh, were very unexpected, um, but very welcome among different communities. So, I think that that is one, you know, kind of systemic effort to address one, one, particular aspect of the heirs' property problem, the problem of kind of unstable um, ownership. But uh, Cassandra could tell you about some other initiatives.
0: Several years ago, in 2012, I believe it was, an organization called the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities um, came up with the idea of focusing on forest resources, the trees actually that existed on rural lands, rural african Americans lands, and focusing on those resources as an incentive to encourage African-Americans to hold on to their land rather than to sell their land. And I think this um, had been an overlooked resource for the most part. And this effort Uh, again, was spearheaded by the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities, but it also involved other uh, federal, state, and private entities. So the idea here has been to infuse specific African-American communities and participants in this program with information and knowledge about forest harvesting of trees, the the, uh, sustainable replanting of those trees, and also to just provide information to these participants about how to engage more fully in forest products markets. The idea, again, is to try to generate longer-term wealth for um, these participants. The program was piloted in, I guess, 2012, 2013, 2014 in North Carolina, coastal South Carolina, and uh, two black belt counties in Alabama. And in the past year or so, the program has expanded to coastal Georgia and to Arkansas. So that's one specific instance of how different entities from various backgrounds and with different um, organizational goals have come together around this issue to um, to try to resolve it using forest resources uh, as a carrot, if you will. Yeah,
1: you know, I think in addition to that, you have, as I mentioned, our Uniform Act is really a national level push to reform state law um, in various states. In addition to that kind of national effort, there have been some limited efforts to reform laws implicating heirs property in different states so I can think of one of the most prominent examples was in Louisiana so in Louisiana uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina it got revealed that there were you know, 10,000 to 20,000 properties that were actually heirs property and as a result of that these families were initially prevented from accessing, some governmental funds that were made available in the aftermath of Katrina to help the families either rebuild their homes and restore their homes or to sell their homes and then sell them to the government, essentially, for a certain amount of money where they could then acquire a different home. And there were people in Louisiana, including a public interest law firm called Louisiana Appleseed, that successfully were able to reform the law in Louisiana to enable those who owned heirs' property to, for a limited purpose, have clear title or have their title deemed to be clear title for the specific purpose of accessing the governmental funds that were made available, but they were federal funds that were made available to Louisiana under a program called the Road Home. And so instead of having to prove their title in a much more elaborate, expensive way, they came up with something called affidavits of airship, which essentially provided these families with a shortcut and a much less expensive way of proving that they had title to the property. So you see, you know, in like places like Louisiana, kind of discrete state-specific efforts to reform the law. What you also have is kind of in a much more kind of a diffuse way, you have a variety of organizations, some of these are public interest legal organizations, some are nonprofit organizations, sometimes they're legal aid offices, that have tried to, one, conduct community legal education workshops to let various communities in their service areas know about the hazards of heirs' property ownership. And then with a certain subset of those uh, people have helped them to change their form of ownership from this tenancy in common under what we call the default rules, the rules that the state will just automatically give you if you don't come up with rules of your own, and change it to something that is much more stable and provides much more of a rational basis to manage the property. So there's a variety of these organizations that have worked with what ultimately, given the limit of resources of these various organizations is a small subset of heirs property owners have been able to change their form of ownership to something that is much more rational and that provides much more security in terms of ensuring the continuity of that ownership over time.
0: And I should add that the U.S. endowment program, one of the main features of that program is the clearing of heirs' uh, property. So in order for these uh, families, these people to participate in this program that uses forestry as an incentive, one of the initial things that they have to do is to uh, clear title to the property. So in that way, this program addresses the heirs' property issue by the clearing of the title.
2: Kind of to close up, I wondered if you guys could also comment on what you think can be done to prevent heirs' property from forming in the first place, to deal with that 40% or so of the the national average that do not have a will in place currently.
0: Well, the first thing that would occur to me is just to encourage families to uh, engage in estate planning. The writing of wills, I I think, is essential. And um, that may, you know, sound pretty... um, simplistic, but I think that's a a necessary first step. Yeah,
1: and I think that, uh, I certainly uh, think that that's, much of the effort that has been done has been through what I described as these community legal education workshops that a variety of these public interest law firms, nonprofit organizations, community-based organizations, legal aid offices uh, have tried to do, is to highlight to them the real pitfalls of that ownership uh, and pointing out to these communities that instead of having a wide number of people or, or a large group of heirs who own this heirs' property, which these many of these families have tended to think of as the larger the number of heirs, the more secure their ownership is because these families have tended to assume that it would take you know, unanimous agreement among the heirs, or at least a very high percentage, like a supermajority of the heirs, to agree to a sale. So it turns out that these families fundamentally misunderstand how the law works. Instead of their greater numbers providing greater security, the larger the number, essentially, um, it provides ample opportunity to those who want to the property, um, it provides more targets for them.
0: And I think it's really important to emphasize to these various communities that if title to these properties, if it's made clearer, if it's more defined, then that does not Uh, or that should not diminish the rich cultural attachments and associations, um, sense of place and attachment, and the vibrancy, uh, the emotions that these families have with property. It's been reported in some of the literature that there may be a reluctance among African Americans, in particular, to uh, formalize property ownership because of some a little bit of trepidation that um, if uh, the rights to these properties are more formal, then that would have the effect of excluding uh, members of the family, okay? Uh, if all of a sudden Aunt Sally's name is on the uh, property, on on the deed, and uh, several other cousins, their their names aren't there or their names aren't there implicitly, then that might mean that Aunt Sally could uh, say that people couldn't use the property in a way that they had prior. But I I think, you know, formalizing title. It could lead to such scenarios, but of course, it could also strengthen that family's ties to that land. It would make it less vulnerable rather than more vulnerable. And I think that kind of messaging could be or should be communicated to some of these families. It could be communicated by these longstanding organizations, of course, like the Center for Heirs' Property Preservation in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'm sure they're already engaged in such communication. And some of the newer organizations, like the Georgia Heirs' Property Law, Center when they go out and talk to these families and individuals. But I think that it's essential that these folks who are involved in this situation realize that it's a win-win if these properties, if the title to these properties is, is formalized.
1: Right. And I think consistent with that is one of the points uh, I often make is that heirs property ownership is this form of ownership that the law will give you if you don't engage in planning on your own. But those who are wealthier and who are more legally sophisticated consult with real estate lawyers and trust estate lawyers and universally among that group of, um, these transactional lawyers, um, it is well known, uh, or the pitfalls of heirs property ownership and tenancy and common ownership under the default rules are well known. And these lawyers always advise their clients to make sure that their family ownership of real property is in some other type of ownership form. And they do that so that these families can maintain long standing ownership of their property from one generation to another so that these families can develop rules that can lead to having their property be property that actually generates wealth for the family and deals with situations where you have family members who are not paying their fair share of the ongoing costs of maintaining that property. Um, And they also do that so that, to the extent that the family wants to sell their property, that they're able to sell on terms that generate economic value to to the family, right? So, owning property with clear title under rational rules uh, as Cassandra indicated, those shouldn't be intention, given the number of uh, families that that do actually engage in such such planning to preserve their the heritage and those types of values in the family, but also uh, to ensure that the property is actually working for them in terms of generating wealth.
2: Thank you so much, Thomas and Cassandra. And that brings us to the end of another Economy Matters podcast episode. Please see the Atlanta Fed Community Development website for more information about the event and for other materials on Airs property. Thank you for listening.
0: This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.